Hello and thanks for tuning in to Search for Truth for the final talk in our present series called Seven Ideas That Turn the World Upside Down. If you've been following the series, you'll realise that uh, these ideas, which Brian describes, are not new. They're contained in the Bible and were written centuries ago by authors guided by the Holy Spirit of God. They're ideas that offer hope and stability to us in this violent and chaotic present world. Today, Brian will explore from the Bible how Christianity can make sense of suffering. And here's Brian to explain. Thanks, John. I'm reminded of a time when Malcolm Muggeridge, the British journalist and author, had been speaking at All Souls Church in London, United Kingdom. There followed a question and answer time in which the speaker was often called upon to defend his conversion to Christianity. After what had been described as the last question had been dealt with, Muggeridge noticed a young boy in a wheelchair trying to say something. He said he would wait and take his question. The boy struggled, but no words came out. Take your time, Muggeridge said reassuringly. I want to hear what you have to ask. I'll not leave until I hear it. Finally, after a real struggle, one that was often punctuated with agonising contortions, the boy blurted out, You say there's a God who loves us, Muggeridge agreed. Then why me? Silence filled the room. The boy was silent, the audience was silent, Muggeridge was silent. Then he asked, If you were able-bodied, would you have come to hear me tonight? The boy shook his head. Again Muggeridge was silent. Then he added, God has asked a hard thing of you, but remember, he asked something even harder of Jesus Christ. He died for you. Maybe this was his way of making sure you'd hear of his love and come to put your faith in him. In the answer that Muggeridge gave, with empathy on that occasion, there are hints of an overall biblical framework, which is available for us to use as we communicate the Christian gospel to hurting people. If shared sensitively, it can help people to at least begin to put suffering into the broader context of God's dealings with a broken world. And what then is that biblical framework? It's one which would see suffering as a consequence of the separation that exists between God and man, and that this separation has itself been caused by sin. So we can't blame God for human suffering. The Bible tells us that God created the world in love and that he loves us individually. But if God is good, and on the side of good, why do terrible things happen, like the mass shootings in Aurora and Connecticut in 2012? What's gone wrong? Well, the Bible's answer is, we did. The London Times leader column said the day after a massacre at an infant school in Dunblane, Scotland, Christ was born among innocent slaughter and died on the cross to pay the cost of our terrible freedom a freedom by which we can do the greatest good or the greatest evil. You see, the Bible makes it clear that God created us with free will. But then we chose to disobey God and do our own thing. That broke our relationship with our loving Creator. It's this separation between God and ourselves that's the cause of all the suffering that's in the world and which will finally result in eternal separation from God unless we each personally obey the message of Christianity. For only God has the answer to this problem, and Jesus Christ is God's answer. When Jesus died on the cross, he took on himself the consequence of our disobedience. His death 
made a way between us and God again. By rising from the dead, Jesus conquered the power of death forever. Now God requires that we each personally repent and receive Jesus, his Son, as our Saviour. What's more, it's clear that God's concerned about our pain, to the extent that in the person of his Son, he came as a man, Jesus Christ, and joined us in suffering. That was the expression used by a Church of Scotland minister when interviewed by a BBC news reporter on December the 21st, 1988, when Pan Am Flight 103 exploded in the sky over the Scottish town of Lockerbie. It was like meteors falling from the sky, one resident there said. Others told how pieces of plane, as well as pieces of bodies, began landing in fields, in backyards, on fences and on rooftops. Fuel from the plane was already on fire before it hit the ground. Some of it landed on houses, making the houses explode. Twenty-one houses were destroyed with the living occupants killed. The total death toll was 270, including those on the ground and those on the plane. The reporter savagely turned on the minister and spat out the question, Where is your God now? To which the calm reply was, God has joined us in suffering. In the person of his Son, he came as a man, Jesus Christ, and joined us in suffering. Beyond that, Christ's sacrificial death on the cross for our sins laid the basis for bringing all suffering to an end. But the time for that hasn't arrived yet. And until it does arrive, God uses suffering to work out his higher purposes in our lives, in a way that's not very different from how a surgical procedure involves pain, but is directed towards a positive outcome for us. Perhaps that's where the Christian gospel's perspective on suffering is at its most radical. First of all, God himself The supreme being has joined us in suffering. And second, before eliminating it entirely from human experience, God uses it to mature and refine Christian character. Becoming a Christian doesn't guarantee freedom from physical suffering on earth. While we wait for Jesus to come again and take believers away from suffering and so to be forever with him. The Bible teaches that God treats as a father those who are his children by faith, And this can also involve suffering for corrective purposes, just as happens in an ordinary human family. In the town of Baguio, located north of Manila in the mountains of the Philippines, there are a number of gold mines to be found. Small cars on tracks are loaded with rock from within the mountain and emerge from an opening in the hillside. The rock is then crushed, pulverised and submitted to various chemicals. By this process, Minute particles of gold are separated from the useless shale and then submitted to fierce fires in the refining furnace. Later, the molten, shining gold is poured into bricks worth tens of thousands of dollars each. Suppose that those stones in the mountains could speak and ask, why do I have to be removed from my place in the hills to be pounded and pulverised, attacked by biting chemicals and submitted to furnaces? A reply might be, what use are you buried there beneath the tons of useless debris? You have within you something that's valuable, something that's useful and beautiful. Only through this apparently destructive process can you be separated from the impurities that keep you from the usefulness, beauty and purity that might be yours. And so perhaps we begin to glimpse how God, 
who's not the author of suffering, can still use it to shape our lives and refine our characters for his glory and for the benefit of others. In sharing the gospel, we learn to expect the fact that events like the attack on the Twin Towers on the 11th of September 2001 in New York will be raised as an objection to the very existence of God. In responding to events like this, someone spoke for many when he said, I want to sue God for negligence, for being asleep at the wheel of the universe. But we betray our instinctive morality when we react to things that happen by labelling them good or evil. Can words like good or evil really have meaning if we don't believe in God? One bold atheist, Oxford University's Richard Dawkins, would say no. Since he doesn't believe in God, he also flatly says there's no evil and no good. At least he's being consistent. But suppose you were to accept there's no God, and so basically no good or evil. Can we then accept that the September 11 event is just a morally meaningless event in a meaningless world? If we feel we can't go that far, then we're forced to draw the conclusion that a consistent atheist doesn't appear to have any answers after all, and no basis for even asking the questions about the morality of such atrocities. The more you think about it, the more the existence of evil in our world points us towards the existence of God and not away from it. Why? Because unless we refuse to label atrocities as evil, we're still faced with the reality of God. Suffering remains a tragic experience. The Christian perspective is not an easy one, but the atheist alternative is simply unrealistic. Basically, what's the relevance of Christianity to the atrocities of this groaning world? Edward Shilito, while viewing the destruction of the Great War, helpfully wrote, To our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. Yes, there's pain and suffering at the heart of the Christian message, but it's not only human pain, it's the pain of God. After all we've said, a question mark remains over human suffering, but we do need to put it in the context of the cross of Christ, which is the mark of divine suffering. We may have to wait for justice and peace in the world, but we can know God's forgiveness for our sins on a personal level and be at peace with him right now. For God has joined us in suffering to give us the offer of ultimately being with him in a pain-free future. The Bible says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's Revelation 21 verse 4. It's been said that suffering is not a question requiring an answer, nor is it a problem requiring a solution, but rather it's a mystery requiring a presence. And that presence is one which only the world-turning Christian gospel can furnish for us. This is uh, my final invitation for you to receive the transcript booklet of all the talks in this seven-part series. Uh, it's free to have, and if you'd like one, or more than one, for group Bible study or to pass on to friends, make sure to let us have your postal address and ask for the title, Seven Ideas. 
You can also download our booklets via the internet, or you can order by email, but first I'll give you the postal address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. And now here's our email address, sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, if you wish, you can download uh, MP3s and podcast versions of some past programmes. Just go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk. And now some titles of Search for Truth are also available at amazon.co.uk uh, forward slash Kindle ebooks. And in the search box, just type in Search for Truth series. Uh, so many thanks again for the privilege of your company today. It's been great to have you with us. And do join us again next week, if you can, when it'll be the start of a brand new series. Until then, it's very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our studio technician, David, our singers, and me, John. Goodbye, and may God richly bless you. Yeah.